0: Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in sick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let us pray. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. Open our minds to understand your ways better and our hearts to love you, one another and our world. Amen. Could we move next slide? Thank you. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible from Hebrews which speaks to me of Christ, the word made flesh as the agent and sustainer of creation. The letter to the Hebrews begins in this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus Christ is creator God. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the sustainer of everything. Jesus is the redeemer and reconciler of everything. And Jesus is is the ultimate authority. How does our worldview, our view of God and his relationship to his creation affect how we respond to it? Do we need to care for creation? What difference would it make anyway? Our reading today was from Job, one of the most mysterious and ancient books of the Bible. Once wealthy Job lost his family, his home, his health. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I depart, he says in verse 20 of chapter 1. The book of Job is a story of a man whom God regards as righteous, who struggles with undeserved suffering in the presence of unsympathetic friends. They, in line with the worldview of the time, suggest that he must have sinned greatly to be in such a state. We who have read the story from the beginning know otherwise, as we have been allowed to see behind the scenes. Job starts by cursing the day he was born, a day of darkness and chaos. His friends try to shore up the idea of a world of order, both in the natural world and human affairs and in divine justice. But in Job's view, God's control of nature must be both arbitrary and destructive because his own predicament seems so random. He longs to hear from God himself, whom he regards as his accuser. But when Job complains to God, demanding an advocate, God answers and reveals himself to be far more awesome than Job could ever have imagined. In Job 38, verse 4, God asks Job, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand understand its dimensions. In verse 22, have you you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? In verses 34 to 35, can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? In verse 25 to 27, God asks... Who waters a land where no one lives a desert with no one in it to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass God's purposeful action extends beyond providing natural resources just for humanity's use Through to the end of Job's first reply of sorry of God's first reply to Job he continues to talk about the natural world which exists apart from humanity. In Job 39 verses 27 to 30, God asks, Does the vulture soar at your command and build his nest on high? His young ones feed on blood, and where the slain are, there is he. The world is overseen and cared for by God who takes interest and delight in wild, sometimes fearful and wonderful creatures and in happenings that from a human perspective appear irrelevant or even threatening. And at the end of this dialogue in Job 42, Job now understands. He has heard and seen although he has not had an answer to his predicament. That comes eventually in God's action as God heals him and restores him fully. Fifty years ago, as a postgraduate student in Vancouver, where I was doing research on evolutionary aspects of competition between two fish species, I had an experience of God's sovereignty which helped me to understand God's continuing involvement in his world. I'd been working on this lake and I had been netting fish and I'd been unsuccessful in catching the fish at the bottom which I needed, these were char. And so I had to go again for another session. My wife came and a friend and the friend and I went out in that boat, an aluminium boat onto the lake and we started setting nets. These are 100 meters long, 10 meters deep, and other sinking nets to try and catch the deep living char. And it was a beautiful day with sunshine, a bit like this one here. Here, here, not there. The sun was shining, and then suddenly, being up in the mountains, the clouds came, deep clouds. There was lightning and hail bouncing off our aluminium boat. And my friend said, oh, I'm happy to stay out here. I trust the Lord. I said, I'm going in. And we rowed in, went up to the log cabin where Fran was cooking our supper. And I was really rather cross with the Lord because I needed to get these results. And I felt somewhat. Having been at a tea, talking in Vancouver at the University of British Columbia uh, at a, a Christian Union meeting, someone came come up to me afterwards and said, you, you're, you're, you're a, an ecolog- a zoologist, and, and you're an Anglican. How can you possibly be a Christian?" And I've spent the rest of my life trying to work that one out. But anyway, um, we prayed. The sun came back, the clouds cleared as they do in the mountains very quickly. We went out back to the lake, the nets were set as well as I'd ever done them, perfectly set where we dropped them but they were perfect. So when we'd finished this job we went back for our supper and Fran came down and she said, do you know, there were two Bibles in that room and they were both open at Psalm 97. The timing of this incident was remarkable to me. Let the many coastlands be glad. We were in what was called coastal British Columbia. Clouds and thick darkness are around him. His lightnings lighten up the world. The storm covered us in darkness and lightning crackled around the lake basin. I saw a sovereign God, a God who was sovereign over his own creation, sustaining it. The Bible makes it clear in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It is His world and He cares for it and for people. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Father and son theologians, Douglas and Jonathan Moo, say in their 2019 book, Creation Care, the most shocking claim of Scripture is that it is this same Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all that exists, who takes on flesh, becoming part of his own creation. God delights in his creation, so should we. Mary mistook the risen Jesus, thinking him to be the gardener. Care for God's creation is not an option or a hobby for Christians, but an integral part of the gospel but there seems to be so much to worry about. In the last few months we've had heat domes and forest fires in western North America and Siberia, record temperatures in California and around the Mediterranean, floods in Western Europe, China and the Eastern seaboard, and the climate crisis is mentioned almost daily, particularly as the Glasgow COP26 talks approach. The latest report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, published in August, makes devastating reading. A 1.5 degree centigrade temperature rise will be reached by 2040 or even sooner. In little over two months' time, what does this mean for commitments that must be made at COP26 in Glasgow? The UK government and other governments have about 50 days to decide to do the right things before the COP26 conference on climate change in Glasgow. But will they? Could you keep with that slide? I think we've skipped one. Are the global vested interests too powerful, too wealthy to let the voice of the next generation and of the poor be heard? I took this photo in the Rockies in 1998, this open cast mine is as active today as ever. Environmental change has always happened. Next slide, please. But it's suddenly happening much faster. We are now entering the so called Anthropocene. July 2021 was the hottest month globally in 140 years of modern global record keeping. Also, we have a that slides out of place. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Also, we have a biodiversity crisis with increasing rates of extinction and growing risk of pandemics like COVID-19. 96% of the biomass of living mass of mam- or living mass of mammals is now made up of livestock. That's 60%, and humans 36% we used to make up about 4% livestock and humans uh, 10,000 years ago. It's now 96%. What about all those poor aardvarks and zebras? 50% of the Earth's surface is taken up by agriculture, mostly industrialized. Fish stocks are being hoovered up by vast fishing fleets which ignore international agreements, fish illegally, and discard unwanted or undersized fish. We face a food crisis worldwide, and even in this country, many survive on poor quality and unhealthy food with huge carbon footprints. We waste almost 40% of our food while others starve. What a world. I believe this is God's world where the Bible in Psalm 148 calls all creatures to praise God. But lament interrupts praise. The prophet Joel, in response to environmental disaster, said, the cries of wild and domestic animals join the laments of the priests and the farmers. St Paul wrote, the whole creation has been groaning and it is in labour pains now. As we recognize the gravity of the situation, we can either turn to despair or we can turn via lament to hope. Greta wants panic and action, but can we have hope and action? In Romans eight, we find that we are in this in between time, next slide please, between the cross, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord and his promised glorious return to make all things new. Friedrich Bonhoeffer said from prison in 1944, it may be that the day of judgment will dawn tomorrow. In that case, we shall gladly stop working for a better future, but not before. So what can I do? What can St. Paul's do? Or the Church of England at a time of such unprecedented and growing environmental crisis? A little boy brought five loaves and two fish to Jesus. God can make of what we do much more than we can make of it ourselves. What you do in obedience to Christ has Christian value added. The little boy brought five loaves and two fish to Jesus, what are they amongst so many? Even with this vast crowd of people, the food left behind filled 12 baskets. Paul writes to the Ephesians about him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. The five marks of mission of the Church of England include one on the care of creation To strive to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. Archbishop Justin Welby said, responding to climate change is an essential part of our responsibility to safeguard God's creation. Recognizing there is a climate emergency, we, the Church of England, are called upon to reach net zero emissions by 2030. The Diocesan Net Zero Carbon 2030 Steering Group, which I chair, has come up with a strategy for the diocese, which has been agreed by Bishop's Council, and a summary of part of which I will share with you. What will it mean for us? We face challenges and opportunities. Focused prayer and theological understanding of creation care issues should underline all of this. There are risks if we do not take action and there are benefits when we do, not least an improved reputation amongst young people. According to a recent tier fund survey of young people's views, 90% thought the church did not care about creation. In the long term, we will save costs, not just to us, but to our brothers and sisters in the worldwide communion. As a diocese, we've already responded by examining all parts of the diocesan estate with an active net zero carbon steering group, urging measurement and auditing of our carbon footprint, encouraging engagement with eco-church and assessing potential for renewables. Of the estimated diocesan footprint, the net carbon footprint of Coventry Diocesan Church is made up 36%, most of which is made up of heating costs. It's up to PCCs to decide to cut their footprints as the diocese does not control their activities or budgets. Difficult to do at a time when many churches are struggling with manpower and resources. Our aim is to get all churches first to use the energy footprint tool. We know it's an extra burden on PCC's and church wardens but we need to do this by the end of this month to submit data. Secondly to do energy audits, and I know that you at St. Paul's have used the free green energy tool, the Green Journey audit. Thirdly, to switch to renewable energy sources, and fourth, to sign up for EcoChurch, which you've done, and congratulations on your bronze award. One way we can add our loaves and fish is through EcoChurch. We can motivate, resource, and care for God's earth in our work and witness. And you are working towards silver as you work through these different areas of your church life. Your services this month address environmental issues in your worship and teaching. As part of your management of church buildings, your PCC, that's your incumbents, your church wardens, your treasurers at least, should read and use... The Church of England's principal path, uh, sorry, practical path. Could we have that next slide? Practical path to net zero carbon document. I don't expect you to read this, by the way. But it shows the lovely colors on it, going from green to red. It shows easy wins in green, and these will help you to reduce your footprint without much expenditure progressing to much more expensive projects. So it's a, a graded way for your, your church, your PCC, to work out how to deal with these issues in your church. And next, here are some community and global engagement actions you could take as a church. And there are many given in the eco-church survey. Particularly important, I think, is that you engage with your other local eco-churches. For example, St. Mary's Cubington. St. Mary Magdalene Lillington and there are more on the eco-church website in order to share your resources, expertise and ideas and to do events together. And you can encourage every church member to add their own five loaves and two fish to the seemingly impossible task ahead by taking simple actions such as these to bless God's world. Reduce, reuse, recycle, use local, organic, animal friendly, fair trade food as far as possible. And so nice to hear local farmers involved today and I hope you do try and buy local food. And next, look up some of these organisations online. We've got here the Dawson Environment Group website. The Church of England does some wonderful webinars at the moment. The Climate Sunday website is just still running, and you have time to register these services with them. A Russia, and there are some leaflets at the back. and Operation NOAA looks at disinvestment. There's such a lot going on with the COP26 conference, But let's move on. I love what the 19th century Edward Everett Hale said. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And what I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do by the grace of God, I shall do. Let us pray. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And as we think about five loaves and two fish, let us pray that God will use us to bless and bring restoration to this, his wounded planet. Thank you.